0: We are looking at the types of belief the last couple weeks. Mm-hmm. And uh, the categories, I changed them a little bit. They mean the same thing, but they're a little more user friendly, for lack of a better word. They are, instead of what I had before, I had disbelief, conflicted faith, and unwavering faith. And our heart's desire is to have unwavering faith in God and who He is and His desires for us. And as we move forward today, I encourage you to look back at the last couple of messages, either on Facebook, at the video or the audio, and uh, catch up, if you will, or hear the different things we've talked about. But this morning, I want to share a story with you about hospitality or social interaction. I believe I've shared this story before, but I don't know what context it was in with you, but this is in the context of hospitality. There was a man who lived in the Middle East, he had a son in high school. His son asked his father one day if he could invite a friend of his over to eat. And his father, after a moment of consideration, said that would be fine. And so his son brought him over to eat and they ate. And uh, his son thought that was nice of his dad to do and thought that was the end of it. Sometime later, that son and his friend got in trouble with the law. They were thrown in jail. The son called his father. His father's name, by the way, was Lloyd. And he said, Dad, me and my friend were out. We got in trouble. We're in jail. Could you come bail me out? His dad said, yes, I will. And we'll talk when we get home. So he came and showed up. And the son noticed that his friend was getting bailed out of jail at the same time. When he looked for his friend's father, his friend's father wasn't there. And he said, Who bailed my friend out, Dad? And he said, I did, son. I did. They took his friend home to his father, explained what happened. And then Lloyd took his son home and his son asked this question on the way. He said, Dad not your son why did you bail him out and he said when I accepted my son's invitation of his friend to my house to dine at my table I engaged in responsibility for him that he ate at my table and if I have welcomed someone into my home I see them as family if that's how they see things hospitality wise in the Middle East it is such a serious thing if you have engaged your friends or neighbors in a celebration toward the end of the month and you know you will not have enough money to make your payment for your rent and you may be evicted most people in our society would say well let's cancel that party and pay the rent rents first not there they say, throw the party, get evicted. And we go, but, but where are they going to go? We understand they've eaten at each other's homes, and so each person is family, so they understand they'll always have a place to go. They'll always be welcomed. Even if they have to put a pregnant woman with a child in a manger, in a feeding trough, they're going to welcome them in, regardless of situation, even if they're overcrowded. Because hospitality is priority and no one turns anybody away. That's how they do it over there. However, it's a little different in our country and in our society, especially if someone lives without faith in God or in uh, the fact that people sometimes have need. There are people who say, I got mine, you go get yours. You're not worth my time. You you don't have a job. That's your problem, not mine. Why are you asking me for help? You see a lot of folks engaged in angry conversations with folks who are not either able to work or are homeless, and they just want to turn and go the other way. We talked about this a while ago in the message called Until It Is. We often see ourselves in that state at certain needs. I know many, many years of watching late-night TV, of seeing all the children starving in Africa, and I would turn the channel. I didn't want to notice it or see it, and I didn't think it was my place. But in disbelief, we believe, first of all, that we can't really make a difference in their lives, and why should we? That's their job. That's their responsibility. They should have friends and family to do that, not us. In conflicted faith, we feel guilty for not helping. And when we do, we feel guilty for helping. Well, what if they use what I gave them for something other than what I think they said they needed it for? So we're not sure if we're supposed to help or if we're not sure if we're supposed to not help. In conflicted faith, we're never sure where our convictions lay. And that is what happens when someone needs something and we're not sure how to help. Or if we should. In unwavering faith, our scripture says it this way. And I, I defer to scripture because it knows a lot more about God than I do. And it says this, Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing some have unwittingly entertained angels. Remember prisoners as if you were chained with them. Those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. It's talking about always being about the love of God and loving others and finding ways to serve one another. Unwavering faith says... God has placed them in my path. I will do all I can to help that I may also receive a blessing for doing so. But it's not about the blessing. It's about love. Please understand, I'm not saying that you go out looking, but when God brings someone across your path, He wants to know, what are you going to do about it? Second one is mission work and worldview. I, I, I got a confession to make about mission work. When I was a younger minister, I, I didn't spend a lot of time thinking about missions. I didn't give them a whole lot of credit. And I thought, well, we have a lot of people around us that they need mission. Why do we need to spend a lot of money to send people over there when we need the help over here? That was my, shall we say, fragmented understanding. Here's how people look at it in Scripture who have struggles with belief. You see, there was a man who was uh, filled with a bunch of unclean spirits. They called him the Gerasenian demoniac. And Jesus came along and healed the man by casting those spirits into a herd of swine which ran down the hillside and drowned. And the people who saw this got afraid. They didn't want the mission work in their country. And here's what they said. They said, please depart from our region because we are filled with fear over what you have done. A miracle has happened. They want Jesus to go. It's interesting, isn't it? But do you think That when someone starts trying to evangelize or talk about Jesus and they're very excited and exuberant about it and they're doing it around you to people who you know probably don't want to hear it, you get nervous. You know, they're just offending people. They're making a bad name for believers. They're they're just talking and people don't want to listen. Well, here's what happens in that worldview: We begin to see that there is an inappropriate way to approach people about Jesus and that most of the people are using it. And most people who don't believe or have no connection with God don't want to hear it. There is no appropriate way in their mind for them to be approached. None. When we have a conflicted faith We want to, but we're not sure how. Or if it's really something we can do. Or if God wants us to. And we pray for them, but we're not sure if we're the ones. Maybe you have some people you know who don't have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And you're not sure how to approach them. So you well, I'd like to. you know, I'll pray for them. I'll bring them to the salvation service on October 21st. Their names, we'll pray over them. We'll, we'll put them on the cross and pray for them until they're saved. But I don't know how to do any of that work. And so we kind of shy away. I have to share something with you. Our vision team this week said that we want the ability to be able to do that with confidence. Mm -hmm. They say, we don't know how, but we want to know how. And there's a difference, isn't there? Mm -hmm. A conflicted face says, I don't know how, but I would like to know how, but I don't, so I can't. Or I'm not sure if I'm supposed to, and so I don't want to make a mistake. Unwavering face says, I really don't know much about it, but I can learn. And I want God to use me in this purpose. So God, raise me up. Raise me up as a voice crying in the wilderness of the darkness of this world. And let me be the one you call forth. Let me be the one that says, can I pray with you? Can I tell you about something that gave me hope? Let me be that person. I want that training, that discipleship training, how to lead others to God, how to get folks uh, into a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want that. And if that is something that's of importance in your faith and you really, really, really care about people, you'll say, yes, Lord, enlist me in that class and then I'll learn and then I can be able to do so and not say any longer, I don't know how. But our vision team wants this church to have a bunch of people that know how. They want people who want to, to know how. So that's kind of how that works in unwavering faith. As a matter of fact, the most important part and why this one is second on our list today is if you don't care about the person who's unsaved that's your worldview, you're not going to want them saved. You're not going to want them fed or clothed or cared for. You're not going to see them as someone who has life and value. However, when all that changes because you know God loves them as much as He loves you, and you want them to experience that, that is who God can be to them is a love in action, that changes for you. Also, in the worldview of those who don't have faith, it's a dark, scary world. You gotta work all you can, get all you can, because he who dies with the most toys wins. I saw that on a t shirt. I saw on another t shirt it said, He who dies with the most toys still dead. Without Jesus, you are dead. <laughs> I don't know about you, but my worldview for a while was I want to be comfortable and accumulate. And then when I lost it all, I realized it wasn't all that valuable. So, those of us in conflicted faith, we sometimes feel guilty for having when others do not. But it doesn't make us want to give others what we have. An unwavering faith. The worldview is this: I'm going to work tirelessly, if I can, with the resources God gives me, and seek that God would bless me with greater resources to do more. Can't outgive God. Now, the third category, and this one kind of moves us toward healing a little bit, it's forgiveness. A couple of weeks ago, we had a message on that that was very powerful, life-transforming. But I want to add a little bit to that so you understand this. If your heart holds resentment, if your heart carries unforgiveness, healing is blocked. Some of us don't want to hear that. I'm going to say it another way. If you want God to do a divine work in your heart, in your life, and in the world around you, you've got to walk in forgiveness. Because God can't do through you what you won't let Him do to you. You can't heal or heal a relationship. God can't heal you. Why? Scripture says when we pray uh, that we forgive one another as He has forgiven us. No doesn't say that, does it? It says, forgive us in the same way we have forgiven others in our Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses in the same way that we forgive others. If our trespass is a sickness which has been afflicted upon us and we are walking in unforgiveness, we remain sick. But it goes a little deeper than that. And I've got to tell you, this is one of the most uncomfortable verses I ever read in the Scripture. And I believe it was shared with you a couple weeks ago from Matthew 18. And it's talking about forgiveness. And it's talking about this uh, servant who owed this man a billion dollars and just an unfathomable amount. He said, wait and give me time and I'll pay him back every last penny. I don't know about you, but me paying back a billion dollars is going to take a long time. Probably a couple of lifetimes and then a few more. Because I'm just not... I don't have it. <laughs> Sorry, I just don't have it. I'm not a prosperous billion-dollar-type preacher, I guess. But what I will say is this, that that man was forgiven every last penny. But he found a man who owed him $10. And he threw him in jail till he could pay every penny. $10. And then the owner, uh, or if you will, the one who had indentured the man who owed him many billions of dollars... Found out about it, called him back in and said, You're wicked. I'm going to put you into the tormentors until every penny's paid, which would be forever because he doesn't have it. And it says this I'm reading out of Matthew 18. His master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until so he should pay all that was due to him. Now, the torturers for you and I. The devil, his minions, the wickedness in this world, those things torture us. Doubts, fears, sickness, these things torture us. And Jesus says this in that last verse in Matthew 18, So my heavenly Father will also do to you, which is deliver you to the torturers, if you from your heart do not forgive your brother, If you do not forgive your brother, doesn't make things right that they if you forgive them that their action was okay, but it gets your heart clean before God. And if you do not do that, you walk under torture, which is sickness, death, um, the wickedness, thought processes that aren't healthy, all these things will track you including mental illness and several other things. And this is torture for a believer because it feels like God is distant, like God doesn't hear your prayers, like you can't um, access His kingdom because you feel like God doesn't care or you're insignificant or any other thing that torture does to you. That Here's, here's how it looks in the kingdom. I, I just thought of this and I think you'll like it. In the kingdom of God, you have status as a child of God. Mm -hmm. But torture says, I don't have that status. That I don't have what God says I have. That He doesn't love me like He says I do. That I'm going to have to struggle and strive in this world because I'm not who God says I am because of whatever reason. That's torture for a believer. It is a living hell for a believer. It doesn't mean you don't belong to God. It means He sent you to the tortures because your heart is unforgiving and God has asked you that His Son's death on the cross is enough. And He says, if my Son's death on the cross isn't enough for you to forgive others, what more does it take? What else are you going to ask God to do before you'll forgive from your heart? His Son wasn't enough. And God says, then you be tortured until you realize Jesus alone is enough for forgiveness to you and through you. And it has to go through you to come to you because it's in motion. If God pours His forgiveness on you and it stops, it doesn't quite get to you because you don't really feel forgiven and know the freedom. But God and Jesus Christ has forgiven you. And He's asking you to keep moving that through to others. And if not, torture happens. And now a person who does not believe says, that's a bunch of hogwash. has nothing to do with reality. Someone hurt me, I'm going after them. Revenge is mine, I will make them pay. I understand that. Those who are conflicted in faith have this emotional thing going on. You know, I know I need to forgive, but it hurts. They did me wrong, it doesn't make it right. So we, we walk this balance of trying to say, But I hurt so bad. And God's saying, but you need to forgive. I know, I know, I know. And I will, but I'm just not ready. You know, I don't want to yet. Uh, You don't understand what they did. We have all these things over here. But over here, God is saying, this is still what you must do to receive it from Me and let the blood of Jesus Christ cover all this stuff over here. But we don't do that. And I'll tell you why. Because we get caught up in the emotion... Of the torture of unforgiveness, which keeps us locked into the box of, I hurt, it's not fair, it's unjust. Granted, that's all true, but it's also true that God says the healing comes by forgiving, not by holding on. Oh, preacher, you had to say that, didn't you? I had to if you want to be healed, yes. Because if we're going to have a healing service, you've got to be able to be in a position to be healed. The prayer of faith says God can do this, but torture says I don't know if God can or not. Either you believe God is and loves you with all your heart, or you're kind of not there yet. And what keeps you from being there tortures you. Scares you. Keeps you up at night. Makes you question whether you have salvation. Salvation. Makes you wonder if maybe you're the only one who doesn't get it. I used to think that. I used to cry myself to sleep tonight saying, God, let everybody else get it even if I don't. Because I'm not sure. I'm not sure if you can include me. So take everybody else, bring them and just let me be the one. If you'll take everybody else, I'll do that. And God said, I can't do that. I can't do that. Each one has to believe for themselves that I am who I am. My son did what he did. Hmm. So I want to share with you a person who is not in faith understanding of healing. It's fairly simple. We go to the doctor, we're sick, we get a prescription, we get surgery. We do uh, alternative medications, whatever. We trust those things that we see and can feel and touch and go to. And that is how healing happens. And our bodies take it from there. that's how they see it. Pretty much practical black and white. If it's a cold, you take whatever the cold medicine is. If it's an affliction of some other kind, you take the uh, the remedy for the malady of that. A conflicted faith kind of goes like this. Well, I prayed a lot and I didn't get healed. I must not have enough faith. Mm-hmm. There's something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. God doesn't care. I believe in God. Don't get me wrong. I love Jesus, but I don't think He's going to heal me. Mm-hmm. I don't. As a matter of fact, we end up praying prayers like this God, if you want to. You know, if it's your will, it's kind of like saying this. God, if you really love me, you'll show me. Mm -hmm. But your will probably isn't for you to show me that you love me by doing a healing in my life. Therefore, if you don't, I'm going to blame me, not you. That's how we think. And if healing doesn't happen, we think, I must not have had enough faith. That's what they tell me. Scripture doesn't say that. Scripture says, if you do the things that the Scripture suggests we do and bring ourselves fully, completely clean, God will cleanse us from an unclean conscience, purify our hearts, and the prayer of faith shall heal the person. It doesn't say it it will if it's God's will. It says it shall I'm not saying you're unfaithful if your prayers don't get answered. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that there are things in the way of your relationship with God that block it, which torture you, and some of, one of those is unforgiveness. That's not the only thing that blocks God's ability to do great works for you, but one of those is unforgiveness, and it's a big one. In unwavering faith, in James chapter five, we hear this. And I don't like that these two verses are together. Can we, like, take one of them and move it somewhere else? Can we do that? Can we change God's word today nope. so it's a little easier to handle? I'd really like to. Can we so, so that so it's not a we can just you know you know have a pass on part of it? Would that be all right? Can we not do part of this verse, a couple of verses, and, and just do the one part? Would that be okay? No. no. But, but, but if we don't do that one part, then it's easier. Now, now is it okay? And it's not so hard on us, not so difficult for us to do. Would it be alright if we perverted the Word of God? I mean, change the order of stuff and move this verse over to somewhere else so we didn't have to acknowledge that this verse is tied to the verse with it. Wouldn't this be a lot easier? Okay, here it is. Both verses. James chapter 5. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up and if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another. You may be healed. I like that anointing part, God. Can we just anoint each other with oil and then be healed? And we don't need to confess our sins and trespass to each other because that's painful. I don't want people to know that stuff. Mm -hmm. But it says if you do that, you will be healed. I thought forgiven would be the word there. Mm -hmm. If I confess my sin, won't I be forgiven? No, it says healed. Can we just move that over somewhere else? Just have the anointing today and not the confession. Can we, can we tell God that He got it wrong? That when you confess, you forgive and not heal? All right, God, you're going to have it your way, aren't you? Mm-hmm. So when you come this morning, one of those things you may need to write on those cards is your unforgiveness towards somebody or a sin that you have kept and you need removed and you want to confess before God. Whether you do that privately at the altar or anointed while you do so, get rid of the blockages. Remember, I said lack of forgiveness is one of the things that blocks healing? Lack of confession, sin that you keep harboring, is the other. You can argue with me all you want, it's scriptural. I tried to give you an out by separating it away. From the rest of that passage. But you cannot. And it worked. Here's how this people think. In wavering or conflicted faith. God I pray for you to heal me. You just didn't do it. And God said well while we were praying. Do you remember when I showed you this thing. That you harbor in your life. Resentment, bitterness and sin. You keep going back to That thing, yeah, God, but we'll talk about that later. I want to get healed first. (laughs) And God says, I'm bringing something to your attention for you to find freedom from it. Because I can't heal someone who's going to keep walking in sin and think that healing of that is okay. I want you clean before me so I can clean you thoroughly as well. So this morning, we're going to pray for those who are sick, afflicted. We're also going to pray for people who are caregivers. For people who doubt the existence of love. For people who question the fairness of life. For people who face losing or are grieving a lost loved one. We're going to pray for the healing of this church. We're going to pray for wounded relationships that forgiveness may come forth. We're going to pray for physical healing. We're going to pray for renewed or strengthened character. We're going to pray for those struggling with mental illness, whether it's depression or anger, traumatized, PTSD, anxiety, or the like. We're going to pray for those who are hopeless, We're going to pray for those who are lonely. We're going to pray for healing for those who survived abuse. We're going to pray for those who keep harboring sin to be able to come and lay that at the foot of the cross today. The prayer rail that we're going to use has a cross on it. What a great way to leave it there. We're going to pray for those who are feeling and our dealing with abandonment and we're going to ask god to heal those who're facing fear those who're questioning love those broken hearted those locked in prison those hungry those thirsty, those naked, without clothing. There are so many that have all of that, or some of it. And we all need God's healing. Which is why I'm asking that each person be willing to come forward, whether they seek prayer or not, as a stand of unity in this church. And I'm going to ask you today, rather than exiting out that door, after you spent time in prayer here, that we exit that door. Why? Because it means that we have found in this place a church where we can be unified and find God together. Would you pray with me please? God of hope, prepare for healing those whose bodies burn with fever, rage with pain, struggle for breath, cry out for limbs that used to be or who crave addictive substances, those whose minds and emotions face the weight of a diagnosis, wrestle with choices for treatment, adopt to a life altered by chronic illness are trying to recover from abuse, are pushing against the encroaching clouds of dementia. Heavenly Father, we pray for those whose spirits are exhausted by their quest for health, that doubt the existence of love and question the fairness of life, and maybe even are staring into the face of death. We pray also for... Comfort and strength and that you would renew those whose backs ache with the weight of lifting broken bodies whose hands are raw from the constant washing of wounds and bodies whose eyes close frequently from lack of sleep and whose bodies feel broken and weary in their quest to show others that they love them and want them to be cared for properly. Those whose anxiety cannot face one more what if? For those whose thoughts do not dare go beyond the next moment as they're too scary. For those whose tears have flowed until there are no more left to cry, Heavenly Father, we pray for those whose patience is worn too thin and whose minds and emotions have become fragile. And we pray for those whose spirits are exhausted by the demands of caring for the sick. Heavenly Father, we pray for churches that have been through turmoil and that are going through it now. Whether it be one that we are in now or one in our district or even beyond. Heavenly Father, heal the pain of all who have been hurt in body, mind and spirit by those who have betrayed the trust placed in them that the abuse that they experience, whether it be molestation, physical, emotional, or simply abandonment and neglect, show them the way to wholeness by your truth and mercy. Heavenly Father, let this service be a time where we look back upon it and say, Yes, Lord, healing has come. Amen.